Amen. Love to hear stories of God changing lives. So grateful for Carol and her story and what God's done in her life. Um, my name is Jonathan. I am not Pastor Kirk. Pastor Kirk is on vacation. So, you know, that Sunday after Thanksgiving, he's like, hey, that's yours every year. So here I am. And you're excited. Thank you. Appreciate that. How many of you are excited about Christmas now, huh? Christmas! Well, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving for one more week. <laughs> Look, if you don't know me, heck, I'm going to move this to the side just for a second so you who are watching online can be so blessed to see this beautiful table. Um, we're, we're in week two of our series, The Table, um, and, and it's a gratitude series. And, and last week, Pastor Kirk talked about uh, what we are thankful for. You know, what is brought to the table we should be thankful for. And I want to take it just a little step further. If you don't know me, I am a, um, I have a healthy obsession with Thanksgiving, right? I, it is the greatest holiday in my opinion. Anybody else in the house say Thanksgiving is the best? I expected it to be that rare. <laughs> it's like, it's like a sad party. Yay. You're just, you're like, Christmas started in October. You know, some of you, you're the worst. Um, but I love Thanksgiving. It's not just what is at the table, right? It's not just what is at the table. I'm going to take it a step further. It's who brought what to the table. That matters. I'm preaching right now. And you're listening. Receive this. It's not just that the turkey is at the table. It's who brought the turkey to the table, right? Because I'm not going to name any names. But if you baked a turkey... You're just doing it wrong. <laughs> Don't bring it to my table. You know why? Because when I think of baked turkey, when I think of baked turkey, this is what I think of. This is what I think of. Catherine, this turkey tastes half as good as it looks. I think we're all in for a very big treat. <laughs> Save the neck for me, Clark. <laughs> okay, Eddie. Ladies and gentlemen, baked turkey. <laughs> I don't care who you are, that's how it comes out. It's not just what's at the table, it's who brought it, right? And when my dad brings the smoked turkey to the table, the angels in heaven rejoice, right? The smoked turkey puts peppers in there, he puts a little grace from heaven. I mean, it's just great, right? Who brings what to the table? My sister-in-law has got to bring the broccoli casserole. Nobody else? She's got to bring it. My mother-in-law's got to bring the sweet potato casserole. Um, it's just got to be the right person bringing the stuff. It's, it's who brought it to the table. But it all leads to the pinnacle, ladies and gentlemen. The pinnacle of Thanksgiving is my mom's pumpkin pie. Let me tell you something, church. If I could describe my mom's pumpkin pie, it's like when heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. <laughs> oh, how he loves me. Oh, he loves me. The Father in heaven loves me. She, it is, it is amazing. Actually, she, actually, I got her pumpkin pie here today, all right? I told her, hey, mom, I need you to make a pumpkin pie for a, a sermon illustration, and, and she said, you're tricking me into getting another pie. And I said, 
you got me. <laughs> but she made it anyway. And so, does anybody want a piece of pie? Hand up first. Come here. Come on. Eat it in front of your brothers and make them feel the joy. You can share it. Here, take this fork with you. Hey, come on. Enjoy that pumpkin. What I want is I want to hear a lot of amens. Pastor Jonathan, you're not lying. The pumpkin pie is what I tricked you into. Look how much I have left just for myself. It was good. The, but you're like, what's the point? That's a good question. The point is this. When we think of Thanksgiving, the who precedes the what. When we think of biblical thanksgiving, the who precedes the what. The question is not just what's at the table. The question is who is at your table. See, the concept of thanksgiving in the Bible clearly demonstrates, and that's the first idea, the who always precedes the what. With biblical thanksgiving, it's mentioned actually in the New Testament, Thanksgiving is mentioned 71 times, and the overwhelming majority of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is to someone and not for something. Over and over and over, the who precedes the what. And so that's our big idea for today, and it's the purpose of that delicious pumpkin pie. Because you know what? My mom said, hey, I'll just give you the recipe and you can make it yourself. And I said, delicious. Amen. Had the outburst. She said, I'll just send you the recipe. <laughs> no, because it's not. If I made it, it ain't coming out like that. The who matters every time. And so when we think of biblical thanksgiving, we think of gratitude in a biblical way. The who always precedes the what. And I want to show you an example of this, actually. There's not very many instances or stories in the Bible of somebody doing something and someone returning thanks. But there is one that I love, and it's in, actually, it's in Luke chapter 17. If you have your Bibles... Um, go ahead and turn them on and go to the Bible app and look up Luke chapter 17 or if you actually have your paper Bibles go ahead and open to Luke chapter 17 we're going to be in verse 11 all right we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to give biblical thanksgiving to have a gratitude that is based on biblical standards and Luke 17 verse 11 there's this story it says this on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, that he is Jesus. Jesus was walking out in the middle of nowhere between Samaria and Galilee, between the land of Samaritans and the land of the Jews. If you know anything about those people, they don't get along with one another. They don't like each other. They consider each other's way less than they consider themselves. And here Jesus is passing through the middle of these two places. And as he entered a village, in verse 12, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance, because that's what they had to do. I'll explain that in a second. They stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I'm going to stop just for a second. Let's talk about leprosy this morning just for a second, kind of give you some context of what we're reading here. These are ten people that cry out to Jesus from a distance. Why were they crying out? They had leprosy. Leprosy is a disease of the skin. It would eat away at the flesh. It would actually remove any pain from their body. They wouldn't feel pain. And I know you're like, that would be great. No, it wouldn't be great because when you actually have an injury or something, they're usually left unattended to. And usually the, you would see lepers, they would lose limbs and body parts because of injuries and their flesh would be eaten off. And actually the worst part of it all is they were kind of like this living, hovering between life and death because they were living, but they weren't really living because they had to be 
You ever heard the word quarantine? Anybody heard that word before? Familiar with that word? <laughs> boo, something like boo, right? Um, they had to be quarantined basically for life. They had to be set apart. You've ever heard the word, the, heard the phrase leper colonies, right? They would have to create their own little communities to sustain themselves, to keep themselves physically alive, even though they were basically ostracized, kept away from their family. They couldn't be around their family. They lost everything. They literally lost every relationship that they had and loved. And so basically they were alive, but they weren't really living. You know, in a sense, I feel like I would rather not be alive than to have to be alive and watch everyone else live their lives and realize how much I'm missing out on life. And that's what lepers had. And so they would create these little communities, these little villages. And out of this village, here comes 10 lepers who have been struggling for some time, I'm sure. And they cry out. Here's what they do. They cry out to, actually, I want to I say this, a side note. These 10 lepers, they were, made, they were comprised of Samaritans and Jews who on any other day would not really care for one another. Can I just give a side note for one second? Isn't it interesting that in pain and suffering and in hardships, the things that divide us as people become much less important when we see the need we have for one another? That's just a side note. When we recognize the need that we have and the good that we can offer for one another, our politics, our religion, our preferences, all these things fall to the wayside and they matter much less than actually being there for one another. That's just a side note, side sermon. But here, the lepers have gathered. They're, they're by themselves. They have to, actually, whenever they would come around people, they would have to cover their faces. They would have to ring bells. They would have to yell, unclean, so people would see them coming, and they would just distance themselves. What a terrible way to live their lives. So Jesus, I suspect, intentionally walked past this village because I don't think he does any accidents, right? Jesus intentionally walked past this colony in the middle of nowhere because that's what Jesus does. He meets broken people in the middle of broken, desolate places. Can anybody in the house testify this morning? That's what Jesus does, and he is intentional about it. And so he walks past this village, and they, they recognize him, and they cry out in verse 13. It says, it says, they lifted their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so what does Jesus do? Look in verse 14. I find it interesting, and I'm sure they were kind of disheartened for a moment. But Jesus looks at them as they come to him, and he says, go. You think that's what they expected? No, I was always thinking, come here, come here, and I'll take care of it. I'll bandage up your wounds. Come here, and I'll care for you. No, Jesus said this, go and show yourself to the priests. Now, if somebody was unclean and wanted to reenter into society, this was culturally what they had to do. They had to show themselves to the priests. The priests would look them up and down and say, you are now fit to be among society. And here they are looking at Jesus, and he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. I don't know about you, but I would have just done a look over one time before I took off. Do I still have leprosy? Right? I still have this thing happening with my ear that wasn't normal just a month ago, right? Like, like I'm still suffering from this, but Jesus says, go, when they didn't expect him to say, go. So here are these lepers they're not yet cleansed. We're told by Jesus to show themselves to the priests. And I love this next part. And I want you to actually underline this in your Bibles if you can. In 14, the second half of it, it says this. And as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were 
healed. The ten lepers were told, go show yourselves to the priest. They're like, I'm not quite healed yet, but you know what I'm going to do? We say this a lot. I'm going to walk by faith. They literally walked by faith and took off to the priests because they had no other options to go and show themselves. And as they went, they were healed. Can you relate? Because I know a lot of times in my life when I'm wanting God to do something, I just pray and have this expectation because maybe I'm righteous enough that he's going to do it. Right? Like God is some cosmic vending machine. You drop in your quarter like beep, boop, 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 boop. Well, out comes the blessing. Right? Like this is how I pray sometimes. But I don't think that's how God usually works when I look at the scriptures. Most of the time, God's great miracles and work are a collaboration between us and God. God calls me to do something in my life, and in the midst of my obedience, not preceding my obedience, but in the midst of my obedience, God works. As I obey, I see God working in my life. And some of you are desperate to see God work in your life before you choose to follow him completely with your whole life. You're maybe struggling with your relationship with God or you feel like he isn't working in your life. Do this. Try following the example of these 10 men in the story. What is God calling you to do? What areas in your life is he calling you to obey or follow him? And do this. Try moving faithfully in that direction. And then see if God working in the midst of your obedience. A lot of time the miracle you're praying for is waiting around the corner of your obedience to the Lord. As they went, they were healed. Let's read on in verse 15. Because here's the twist in the whole story, right? At this point, I am uber impressed, super impressed with all 10 of these guys because every one of them chose to walk by faith. Here we go. I've got nothing else to lose. I'm not cleansed yet, but as I go, I believe that God is going to do this thing. And here's the twist in the story verses 15 through 19. It says, then one of them. How many of them? One of them. When he saw that he was healed, he turned back and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And I like how Luke adds this in. Now he was a Samaritan. So the people reading this originally are like, he was the worst of all of them. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Here's the twist. Only one. Only one return. And Jesus asked the question, weren't there ten of you? I'm sure Jesus is like, all right, all right, let's take roll call. One. Okay. Or he's like, okay, he sees him in a distance like, oh, there's that one. Maybe they're standing in single file line heading back this way. And he's the tallest one and I can't see behind them. And then he was shocked to see, literally, there was only one that showed up to say thank you. Only one. And Jesus asks a question. He doesn't just ask this question. You know, Jesus often would ask questions to teach a lesson, right? He wasn't asking questions. It wasn't one of those, hey, I want you to search your soul. I want you to discover 
this, the kingdom of God. I want you to think about it. I want you to consider it. And then get back to me. This wasn't one of those questions. This question was a question of genuine frustration. When Jesus healed 10 and only one came back to say thank you. You know, I could come up with a lot of examples where I could feel Jesus' frustration. Anybody ever felt like Jesus in this moment, right? I don't know if I've ever felt more like Jesus than in these moments like this where he's frustrated, right? There's a lot of examples. I'm going to go for the low-hanging fruit, okay? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to come out and say it. Anybody in here a parent? Parents? You ever had one of those moments where you're like, I'm going to give this to my kids, and they're going to overwhelmingly grovel and give thanks at my feet and say, blessed art thou, man of all men. Right? Maybe you did like the Disney trip. Oh, we're going to reveal that we're going to Disney, and they're going to be so excited. Let's put it on InstaSnap, right? Let's video them, and they're like, cool, yeah, I thought we should probably go there one day. Yeah, that's going to be a good time. Appreciate it, Mom. Right? Like they strut off like they deserved it. Right? You completely disappointed. Anybody ever been there? You just do things for your kids and they're like, cool, I earned it. No, you didn't. <laughs> this is like how Jesus felt. He's like, did you not see what just happened in your life? Weren't there 10 of you and here comes one. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a couple of lessons from today's text and from this story for us to carry with us. First of all, let me ask you the question. If you caught up with the other nine people, right? I like to jump in this story. Let's just jump in this story. Let's say we caught up and we went to the town where they went and we were going to where they showed the priest and they were like celebrating. They had a feast. They're like, listen, we're back with our families. We're hanging out. Let me ask you a question. If you went up to them how do you think they felt? Do you think they were grateful? Do you think, like quite honestly, do you think that they were thankful in that moment, right? I would say all nine of them were like, this is amazing. I'm so thankful. I'm sure if you caught up to them, they would say, we're so thankful for what he has done. But you see, there's the problem. The what in their lives preceded the who. And instead, there was only one that returned to say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Thanks be to you for what you have done. The who preceded the what. And when you flip it, the other nine, let me tell you something. When Jesus noticed it, it stung just a little bit. He was frustrated. He was hurt. And here's why, and it's our first lesson out of this text today, is unexpressed gratitude is always received as ingratitude. Unexpressed gratitude is received as ingratitude. And know this about ingratitude. It leads to pride. It leads to selfishness. That leads to sin. That leads to death. Let me tell you something. Expressing your thanks to someone for what they have done saves a lot of trouble, pain, and heartache in your life and in the life of another. Unexpressed gratitude is received as ingratitude. Let's be really honest. We're really good at talking about what we give thanks for, but rarely do we, ex 
but rarely are we explicit about who we give thanks to. We're happy to talk about all the ways that we're blessed, but rarely do we acknowledge the source of the blessing. We all feel gratitude, but we don't all express gratitude. It's actually very uncommon, as you would see in the story. I'm no mathematician, but one out of 10 is hovering around 10%. Right? Like, that's not a lot. It's rare. It's actually the exception to be the one who comes to someone to say, thank you. And unexpressed gratitude is received as ingratitude. Why do you think that's so? Why is gratitude, it's a simple thing, but yes, it's a, yet it's a difficult thing. Why is that so? Because here's what I think. I think that expressing gratitude to another person may feel like admitting our own weakness. It's an admittance that I needed you and I wasn't enough, that me, myself, and I, I couldn't pull it off on my own, so I needed you and you came through in the clutch for me. And so if I come back and say thank you, it's basically me saying, hey, really, you made this happen and not me. But I want to tell you this. When you feel like you can't do it alone, let me tell you this. You can't. You cannot. In the wake of your progress and of your success, professionally, academically, athletically, financially, relationally, are dozens, if not hundreds of people that facilitated your success. And to acknowledge their role in your life, listen, church, it is not weakness to acknowledge their role in your life. It is maturity. And let us be like the one who is mature enough to come back and say, there is no way. There is no way I can live another day without coming to say, thank you for what you have done in my life. So let's be like the one. Don't be like the typical nine, but be like the exceptional one leper who in his overwhelming gratitude and his mature faith, as Jesus acknowledged at the end, hey, look, you have been, your faith has proven you to be and well to go and live like a great life because you have been grateful. So be like the one. What does that mean? Always circle back to the ones that helped you move forward. Always circle back. Circle back. Go, make the loop, come back. Because somebody has helped you move forward. And that's in every day of your life. Always circle back to the ones that helped you move forward. Because you couldn't do it without them. They are worthy to be thanked. Let me ask you this. Is anybody in the room, does anybody in here have uh, $10? $10. You got me? Dude, that was a quick response. What a blessing you are. Come here. $10. You got me? Will. Give it up for Will. Will's got to $10, man. I appreciate it. Thanks. That's my lunch. All right, moving on. Really grateful. Really grateful. I tricked my mom into the pumpkin pie, and I tricked him into lunch. I'm really grateful. Thank you. Um... You're a senior in high school? I'm sure you got plenty of money bank coming in, man. You're good. No, no, no. no. Let, me, let, me, let me excuse myself for just a second. You see, Will gave me $10, man. I appreciate it. You know why it was really easy for Will to give me $10 and he answered way quicker than all of you heathens? I'm just joking. 
I know a lot of you would have come to the rescue. You'd have to pray about it first, though. The reason that Will answered is because before the service started, I gave him two $20 bills. And I just said, hey, when the time is right, you know what to do. And he looked at me like I was crazy. But then it just clicked. Right? You see, it was easy for him to give and bless back to me because he was abundantly given what he didn't deserve or earn in the first place. And so think about your life. You have been blessed by people in your life. It should be easy for us to circle back and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you have done. Giving thanks to someone is just returning the bless, just coming back to bless the person who has blessed you. Let me tell you, church, always, always circle back. You see, because gratitude is the language of our hearts. It builds relationships. It strengthens relationships. Let me, let me challenge you with this, church. Don't let anyone out-gratitude you. Don't let anyone out-gratitude you. Always circle back and give thanks to the people in your life. Young people, teenagers. I got a teenager now. I call him a rough draft of a human. It's <laughs> funny. Hold on to that one. Your kids will love it. No, they hate it whenever I say that. Teenagers, would you like to get more yeses than noes from your parents? Yeah, you're like, preach, preacher, how did you do it? Let me tell you how to do it. Be different. Circle back. Always say thank you. Simple as that. Let me tell you something. When you say thank you to your parents, it will melt their hearts. I'm talking right now. Parents, would you agree? Because listen, I can't tell you, we have, an, we have a whole generation that's entitled to, of course I have a room. Of course I have new clothes. Of course I have the money to go and do fun things with my friends. Of course I have a car. Of course I have all these things. But listen, you didn't earn it. As great a person as you are, you didn't earn that. It was given to you. Listen, circle back. The more you say thank you, they're more like, hmm, yes, you can do that. You can, I'm just t- take notes. Write it down. Avery. Circle back. Your parents will melt when you say thank you over and over and over. Married people, let me ask you, do you want to revolutionize your relationship with your spouse? <laughs> One, my buddy's looking at me. He's like, no. <laughs> You're a liar. You're in trouble. You better make up for that right here. Let me tell you something. You want to revolutionize your relationship? You want to build your relationship with your spouse? Let me tell you something. Say thank you and say it often. Say thank you. When they've done the dishes for the 150th time, Shane, you know what I'm talking about, right? It doesn't matter if it's the 151st time. What do you say? What do you, like I'm talking to my kids. What do you say now? Thank you. I'm telling you it will revolutionize. And listen, If you don't feel it reciprocated and you're struggling, continue to say it. Continue to say thank you. Continue to say it. And it will come back. The loop will be completed. The circle will be filled. Circle back and say thank you because we as people gravitate to gratitude. Gratitude and giving thanks will always draw us closer to one another. Always be thankful. Because biblical gratitude is about who more than it is about what. And only one of the lepers got it. Only one. And you see what he noticed is, you see what he got? This is ultimately the thing. What he noticed is this. The what of the story, the healing, 
The what of the story was not the point of the story. The point of the story was who, and the who is Jesus. Listen to me, in all of your life, in the whole story you're writing for yourself and for your family, the who is the most important, and the who that is supreme in your life should be Jesus. The who precedes the what. Be the exception, be the one. And as we close, I want to I read a very familiar passage, maybe to a lot of you, maybe not. Um, but in 1 Thessalonians, your outline actually says 2 Thessalonians. That's my bad. I pushed the wrong number. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to close with this. Um, verses 12 through 18. Let, let me just read it, and then, and then, and then I'll explain. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. In what circumstances? All circumstances. For this, listen to this, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. For you, the church, the will of God is for you to do these things and to give thanks in all circumstances. You see, I've read this passage for the longest time, and I just try to, whenever I read it, I try to think of the author's, you know, situations. And I always think when Paul says, be thankful all the time and in all circumstances, give thanks, right? I would, I, I would always go to the idea of when things are bad or when things are hard or when things are troubling, no matter what, I'm still going to give thanks, right? And I always read it. As that, for the longest time, for as long as I'd been a believer until just a few years ago, three years ago, I had this interaction with one of my sons that flipped my mind and my heart upside down about how I perceive biblical thanksgiving, okay? And so, uh, it might have been three, it might have been four years, every once in a while we go to the mountains to celebrate Thanksgiving with my in-laws. We go up to Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge. Anybody love it? Yeah, beautiful. Anybody go up there? Beautiful. If you ever have a chance to go up there, go. It's awesome. It's incredible, especially that time of the year, the leaves and the fall and it's all those things, pumpkin spice lattes, all that stuff is just great up there. I don't know why I added that in. Um, so we went up there one year. Um, just for, I actually got a picture of me and my boys. This is the three boys, right? This is Caleb on the right, Isaac on the left, and Rooster, Abram in the middle. All right? And you can leave that up there for just a moment. But we went up there. It was one night after Thanksgiving. I was like, hey, listen, I'm going to take the boys. They had this little shopping center area, and they have all these lights and stuff. And I'm going to take the boys up there. Anybody want to go? And everybody's like, we're really tired. We don't want to go. We're not going to go up there. We don't want to go down the mountain and back up the mountain. We're just going to chill out. You know, some of my uh, sister-in-law had little babies. They're like, we're not taking them out. He's going to be annoying, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so they didn't come. So it was just me and Caleb and Isaac and Abram. All right? And we're walking around the little shops. We're looking at the lights. We're walking around the shops, and we stumble upon this place. It's called Doc's Magic Shop. 
Doc's Magic Shop. And this is just what you, listen, if you have puppets or magic, I am locked in. We are best friends. I love them. I've been trying to have a puppet ministry at this church for years. And our children's ministry directors, Rachel and Courtney, say no every time, and they kick me out of every one of their meetings when I try to sneak in and tell them, puppets rule, all right? Puppets and magic. And so I walked into this magic shop with my three boys, and it's as cliche as you can imagine. Like it's an old guy with a top hat, and he's like, mm-hmm, got a little kids gathered around. He's like, he's like, mm-hmm, abracadabra. And they're all like, whoa. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Right, like, Abra, he does trick after trick. He's like, check this one out, kids. Abracadabra. And it happens. Abracadabra. What do you say, kids? Abracadabra. You know, they're all like, here, you hold the stick. Abracadabra. Everybody's abracadabra. We sat in there for an hour. And the kids said, Dad, it's time to go. Because <laughs> I didn't want to go. I was locked in. They said, Dad, it's time to go retire. I was like, okay. So we go. I was like, hey, let's take this picture real fast. So we actually did look at lights, and you can tell your parents that we did. And so boom, we took a picture, and then we left. And we got home, back to the cabin. All right? We get to the cabin, and Rooster is obsessed with abracadabra. Literally, he can't stop saying it. He starts saying it for everything he does. Hey, Dad, check this out. I'm brushing my teeth. Abracadabra. It's like, dude, that is the dumb. Dude, that's just a normal thing that you're doing. He's like, I was like, actually, you actually are doing something you're supposed to be doing. Maybe that is magic. Ugh, kids. I'm just joking. He's like, abracadabra. He's like, all right, go take a bath. He's in the bathtub. He's getting clean. Like, Dad, abracadabra. He's like wiping soap off. I was like, that's uh, not good context for that. That's whatever. All right. He's like, he gets dressed in his pajamas. He's like, abracadabra. It's like, that's just, that's just normal behavior. Like, that doesn't make any sense. He comes running down the stairs to me from, I'm sitting in the back. And you know when you're in one of those cabins and you go down the stairs, how it's like thundering, it's like the Lion King died and that thundering noise coming down? That was, that was too, too far. Like the thundering herd comes out. He comes down. He's like, I got, I got Christmas pajamas on. Abracadabra. And I finally had had enough. <laughs> it's like, listen, rooster. Everything you're doing is just normal, everyday behavior. That's not how you use the word abracadabra. Abracadabra. You only do that for special things. What you're doing is just normal things. You do it for special things, but not for normal things. And at that moment, my son turned into a preacher. <laughs> he out-preached the preacher. He goes, Dad, that doesn't mean it's not special. Just because something is normal in your life doesn't mean it's not special. Just because something is normal in your life. It's just an everyday thing. It doesn't seem magical enough. Listen, what Paul is saying is in all circumstances, in the normal behaviors, in the normal relationships, in the normal interactions that you have every single day that become mundane, we can easily take for granted. Every one of them are special. Just because something is normal doesn't mean it's not Special. Everything you have is a blessing. Everything you have is a blessing. But listen, the what you have doesn't compare to the who that you have. The ones that are there every day in your life 
the regulars in your life, the normal part of your everyday life. But listen, God gave them to you, and all he has given to you is special. Your spouse is special. Would you circle back and tell them? Your children are special. Would you circle back and tell them? Your parents are special. Tell them. Your friends are special. Tell them. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, the people in this room today gathered with one heart to worship one king, they are all special. We need to be circling back and be like the one. Paul is saying this, nothing in your life is mundane. Take no person for granted. Circle back. Give thanks to someone. Don't be like the nine. Be like the one. Here's what I know about every relationship that you have, every one of them. When they're over, you've never had enough time with them. It doesn't matter if you've had 10 years, 70 years, 100 years. When that time is over, it is not enough. Take no one for granted. Because just because they're a normal, everyday part of your life does not mean they are not special. Be the one. Don't be the nine. Circle back. The who precedes the what. And please, as the band comes up and we close, I want you to consider this. Consider all of this under the umbrella of this reality that gratitude, biblical gratitude, is given in light of God's mercy and his grace and his goodness for you and in your life. Because apart from Christ, here's the truth. Apart from Christ, we're the 10. We're all 10. We're the lepers. We're the lepers hovering between this life and the next. But every one of us is in need of healing and of grace. We're the 10. All of us. while you were dead in your sins and while you were dead in your transgressions God who is full of love and rich mercy for you sent his son Jesus who the point of every story is Jesus to die the death that we deserved to be raised to life so that we could live forever with him that as we go we're healed because God has done that work in us. And so I present to you, church, two, two challenges. Number one, maybe you're here today and you've never experienced Jesus like that. Maybe you've never experienced the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And today you need to respond to that goodness. His desire is to heal you, to change your life. And the second challenge is this. Maybe here and you've experienced Jesus that way. You've gone. You've been healed. But maybe you're more like the nine these days. Kind of bitter. Your heart's hardened. Just kind of accepted life as just mundane, everyday living. What's next? What's next? What's next? 
And it's time to be like the one to circle back. And maybe the circle back means you need to talk to the person right next to you before you leave. It might be your spouse and say, look, I've been taking you for granted. And I want to circle back today and say thank you for how you care for the kids, for how you, whatever it is. Maybe the same thing, you need to look at your husband's wives. Maybe you need to look at your kids. Maybe you need to call somebody. Maybe you need to go in the lobby and catch somebody on the way out and soften that heart and be like the one. Don't be like the nine. Overwhelmingly, let's be like the one. So today, I'll respond to Jesus. Where would I be without Jesus? My life is the proof. My life is the proof that he can make any life new. What has he made your life new? And the second thing is this. Maybe you need to circle back. Would you pray with me before we sing? Father, we love you. We are so thankful, God, that you intentionally made your way into our lives and met us in our broken places. So God, I pray that we would ponder this question, where would I be without you? Where would I be without you? And if we've been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, would we celebrate that in these next few moments? If we've never been changed by Christ, may we consider what would it look like if today I go and as I go, I'm healed. I respond to him today. We love you. We give thanks to you for what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.